Hey everyone, Siler here. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Switch the Flip. We've grown a lot through this first season, and we're excited to announce that our upgraded website can be found at switchtheflip.com. There you can listen to the podcast, read the blog, and even apply to share your story live on the show. Keep up with us on Instagram at switchtheflip with two Ps, and don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for being part of the journey. Enjoy the show. Hello, and uh, welcome to Switch to Flip. Uh, My name is Romy. I'm Dutch, I'm 29 years old and uh, currently based in Sri Lanka. I'm looking over a very blue bay here and sitting next to Seiler and Randall. And they met me while I was teaching yoga on a very lush rooftop in uh, Midagama. And um, they kind of asked me for my stories and I started telling them I come from a neuroscientific background and that made them very curious. This is Seiler and I am super curious. Romy has been one of the best friends I've made here in Sri Lanka. Someone I connected with right away after that Ashtanga class, which if you listen to episode two, you would have heard that I injured my knee going into full lotus during that class. I have since recovered, and we actually did a very nice Ashtanga practice this morning with Rami, along with our friend Danny, and me, Randall, your other co-host, Super stoked. Today was a nice morning. I woke up a little late, went straight into the Ashtanga class, and uh, had a really nice time. I was telling these two friends here that during my Savasana at the end, there was all this wind blowing on the roof, and this, I don't know what they were, like metal or plastic sheets kind of banging around, and Rami had hit the singing bowl and I just felt like I was on the deck of like a pirate ship and like a storm and the bell was ringing but uh yeah it was just it was it was a trip anyway welcome to switch the flip here on this podcast we're really trying to get the stories of people we meet as we travel who have switched the flip on their country's social expectations or norms and created a life that is more aligned with their passion and their purpose so for those of you who have been following us along this journey from the beginning, we know there's been a slight delay. Last episode that we released, we spoke with our roommate, Aslam, about Sri Lankan surf culture growing up as a Sri Lankan and, and the tropical wax curating the party scene down here and the music scene. After that, we had interviewed uh, another good friend, Donya about her story and Siler. I mean, you can give us kind of a brief overview of that. Yeah, Donya is a really special girl as well. She's originally from Iran and moved to Sweden when she was 12 and fell in love with belly dancing. Knew the dancing was her calling, but it was something that she was struggling with. Her parents also appreciated the belly dance, but didn't want her to be a belly dancer, didn't want their daughter to be anything less than an engineer or a doctor or a president, (laughs) her words, and um, she was in university and she dropped out, took two years off, meditated and did yoga exclusively for two years, and at the end of that two-year period, when she was in meditation one day, she understood finally that 
dancing was her purpose, that she didn't need to do anything else. And her story was just incredible. She began to volunteer, or she, excuse me, she got a job as a receptionist at a martial arts studio who had a belly dancing class by chance. She began to know that teacher. And that teacher saw her dedication. She was making herself available to help out the teacher whenever she could to participate in the class. And the teacher recognized her talent, invited her to be part of her dance team. Fast forward a year and a half later, Donnie gets a call from this teacher after being out of communication for almost a year. The teacher is ready to let go of her business, ready to let go of the dance studio, and wants Donya to lead the studio. And just gives it to her to take over. And now Donya's grown that business to be the second highest rated dance studio in Stockholm. And she's performing up to eight times a weekend. Her story is really what Switch the Flip is all about. It's just, she totally did a 180 on traditions that her parents expected her to uphold. And, and, I, and she was very clear that her parents are very proud of her and supportive now. And they're happy that she's doing her own thing. But it just took them a little while to be cool with that. Anyway, it turns out that we may have lost the audio from, from that recording. We were borrowing a microphone from a friend and it, I think, was a little damaged. And so, the, unfortunately, Donya's voice goes in and out during what would have been episode four. So I'm not sure if we'll be able to release that for you guys. Maybe we can release it and you can check it out. I think it's worth pushing through to hear her story and hear her accent and just hear her speak. She's a super inspirational person and, and a really special person that, that we've gotten to meet. Such is life. We lose some things sometime. And we're very lucky to have Romy with us now for the official episode four. <laughs> anyway, so Romy, we're really happy to have you here. Really excited to have met you. And you're from Amsterdam. What's it like growing up in Amsterdam? I've met so many cool people from there, cool chicks especially. Um, give me a little bit of background and to the life of a Dutch woman. Mm-hmm. Well, um, life in Amsterdam is very vibrant. Uh, there's a lot of things going on there, especially for a young person. It's very interesting. Uh, I lived a very urban lifestyle, especially during my studies. Uh, I spent most of my days in Amsterdam, but I was also based in Berlin for a long time. And uh, both cities are really big, they're metropolitan. Um, I discovered a lot as a young, young girl, as a young student about myself. I went to many awesome parties. Uh, I was a bit of a wildcat actually. And um, yeah, being there as a student is just amazing. We, we don't really have like a campus where you live on. The people live in these like crooked houses along the channels and they share the house. And we had like crazy house parties and beautiful, beautiful uh, hangouts with all the friends we made. And uh, I rode my bicycle every day to university through the rain or through the sun. Um, So yeah, Amsterdam is a lovely, lovely place, a lovely city. Um, And Berlin as well. Berlin was uh, a whole other story. It was very, uh, very industrial for me, very raw time. Uh, met many artistic people there. Uh, everybody's either way a photographer, uh, a dancer, an artist, a DJ. And they worked some side jobs next to it. Um, and I think actually my time in Berlin really inspired me to start uh, becoming a bit more artistic as well. So 
yeah, before I was maybe always a bit, um, a bit more serious maybe about like finding a job in, uh, yeah, within the field I was studying and uh, slowly my mind was already a bit expanding in that time and I was like searching further than whatever I received at uh, my education. And uh, yeah, I think these cities really inspired me and made me as the person I am nowadays. I haven't had the chance to go, well, I actually haven't been to Europe yet at all, um, but Amsterdam is number one on the list, and Randall and I will be going there this summer for sure. We've definitely expanded our Amsterdam network here in Sri Lanka too. I can't wait to go see some of these people again there. Yes, I've been uh, twice to Amsterdam, and it's I love it. I, <laughs> it might be my favorite city. Uh, I think my top three would be Amsterdam, Bangkok, and... Uh, New York and LA, I think they could share the third spot. Yes, yeah, Tyler and I had talked about planning to go to Amsterdam in the summer, and one of these goals we had, uh, though I've been there twice, I, ha I haven't made any friends while I was there that are from there or that who are living there somehow, you know. And so um, we were really hoping to meet some Dutch people leading up to that part of the trip so we could at least have some cool recommendations if not some people to visit while we were there so super super excited now to uh have made a few homies in the netherlands what did you study uh in university and where did you study so i did um my bachelor's in uh, amsterdam in the free university of amsterdam uh, i started off in biology so general biology uh, but very soon we had to choose a specialization and um, I just started wondering like what kind of biologist do I want to be? Do I want to be an ecologist? Do I want to know more about DNA? Do I want to be more into the biochemistry field? But then I just got fascinated with the brain and the brain was for me a whole like new area. There was still so much undiscovered. There was still so much to figure out about the brain. And I just felt like that was a field I could really like challenge myself in and deepen my knowledge. Um, so it started off with a few lectures on like EEGs and like putting this like bathing cap on your head with all these buttons and like recording each other's brain waves and making a nice like um, yeah report about this. And uh, it started off really funny, you know, like uh, yeah, you're doing your bachelor's a bit simple tests and. Uh, I just got uh, started enjoying it more and more and I just kept going in the field. And then for my bachelor thesis you had to do an internship of a couple of months. And one of my teachers, uh, one of my favorite mentors still nowadays, he's an amazing person, uh, Christian. Um, he, uh, he offered me a place in a lab and the lab's called CNCR, it's in the Free University. And it's just like all dodgy dodgy lab you know there were literally like mice running around it was super dusty but there were like equipment all over so you literally had to crawl to your desk to like find your your workspace through all the machinery and uh, crazy like test equipment um, and that became my desk and the, the, the years after it it was my desk it was my spa and my job became to reconstruct human brain cells. So I received human brain cells, they were already prepared. And I got the software and uh, basically I was like modeling human brain cells all day. And um, this project just turned out very successful. 
So even in my bachelor's, I ended up going through some uh, uh, publications with my colleagues and uh, we did some side projects and uh, it just kept growing and growing. So it, yeah, somehow I ended up making this my niche. So it was quite clear I had to continue down this path. Did you come from a, a medical background? Is anyone else in your family in the, in the medical field? Um, no, <laughs> actually my dad is a real estate agent and my mom is a housewife. Um, but somehow all the women from my generation in the family became uh, quite uh, successful in their, uh, in their field. So they're all quite highly educated. And that was the first generation in our family that went to university and all the women. So I don't know what happened genetically, but <laughs> something happened. Maybe the planets or the stars. I don't know. When you say Free University of Amsterdam, is this the name of the university or is it a free university? No, it's just a name. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I had to make sure because that would be totally switching the flip on university as I know it. Well, I mean, for the bachelors that you received, what was the, not the exact cost, but, you know, like coming from America, so much of the debt that our generation is coming out of school with is tremendous. So uh, is the European like university um, financial situation similar? Is it different? What was your experience there? I think in Europe it's financially, uh, we have quite a good deal. So uh, I definitely, mm, especially in my time, I sound very old now, but back in the day, we received some funding <laughs> from the government actually. And uh, College money wasn't that expensive, like money for the lectures. Um, so with a little bit of help from my parents and uh, some side jobs, I used to work in a hospital and, and work in a university to make some extra cash. You could pretty much get around without get any major debts. Although nowadays, since uh, three years, they've changed this rule and they don't give the funding anymore to the students so people can loan a lot of money which people do, and now people are starting getting bigger debt. So I do think it's growing closer to the U.S. situation, yes. So you were working in this lab for a few years after graduation, continuing down this path. Um, when did, well, that was in Amsterdam. And so, so when did you move to Berlin? What was the reason for that? So as a... Um, Part of your bachelor's in Europe, they have this program called Erasmus. And it's an exchange program and they give you some funding. And then you're allowed to go for a certain amount of time study at a another university within Europe. And uh, then students from that university will come to Amsterdam as an exchange. So it's a program. Um, and for me, there was a nice program waiting in Berlin uh, at Charité, the medical faculty. I could do some master courses uh, in, within medical neurobiology. Um, and I always had a fascination for Berlin. So for me, it was a very easy decision. It's like uh, my favorite city, plus I could study there. So um, the year after my bachelor's, I moved to Berlin. Um, and for half a year, I was doing master courses in a university there. Um, beautiful program. Uh, learned a lot actually we did even uh, we we even were able to go into anatomy like really slice brain and uh, really yeah we went really deep 
uh, went into pharmaceuticals, everything. Um, but then I decided to stay a bit longer. So I just like fell in love with the city and I ended up staying for a full year in Berlin and worked and uh, lived the Berlin life. I've heard about the Berlin life. I've, <laughs> I'm very curious to experience some of the Berlin life. Um, I was first introduced to you as a yoga teacher. We got to Sri Lanka around roughly the same time. When did yoga really start to become a big part of your life? It is a very funny story, actually. Um, so when I was living in Berlin, uh, we weren't always living an extremely healthy lifestyle. So Berlin has a very alternative uh, scene, uh, very beautiful nightlife. And Yes, yes, I s you can make of it what you want. Um, but I, I enjoyed this very much, to the fullest. Uh, but me and my friend decided it was time for a bit of a detox and we heard about Bikram Yoga. It's like a very hot form of yoga, yoga at 40 degrees. And uh, it just makes you like detox, sweat. It was a beautiful exercise for us, so we thought it was the right way to balance our lives. So we started getting into Bikram, and Bikram became a new addiction for me. So for years I was doing uh, Bikram yoga quite fanatically. Have you seen the Bikram documentary? Yes, I did. And I always feel guilty about saying the name. It's like a little voice inside my head is like, oh, okay, I can't say it. But still, yes, it's how I started. Yeah. And although the man is not innocent, I love the form of yoga, and it's been a great start for me. I've never done an actual Bikram yoga class. I've done many hot yoga classes, um, but not the 26-step sequence that you do in a Bikram class. Um, the documentary really kind of blew me away. Like, what a creep. And he's still out there creeping, you know? Mexico. In Mexico, and, like, girls are... Sh everybody, people are still going to support his, his trainings, which is crazy. But anyway... I'm glad you arrived to yoga through whatever form it was, but tell us a little more about it. So <laughs> you got into Bikram, and then what happened? So uh, yeah, Bikram really yeah, helped me balance my life a bit more, and uh, so I, I kept going and exercising. And then after college, so after university, uh, I found my way to India. So I bought a one-way ticket to India. And, uh, and how old were you at this time? Um, 26. I was 26. And uh, I had no plan. I just needed some time to discover more about myself. I had some some interesting years at university. Learned a lot. Uh, worked. And uh, um, yeah. But I always had some questions, especially after my Berlin experiences and meeting all these interesting people. It's like, is there something else out there? And then in India, I was really shaken through the bone. Like, India is a very, very interesting country, and it will always teach you something and uh, take you out of your comfort zone. And uh, that's where I found more yoga and actually different forms. So I was getting a lot into hatha and meditation. And where in India were you? Ooh, um, I spent most of my time back then in uh, Rajasthan and in the mountains, but I was also in the south for a bit. But I think most yoga I picked up in uh, Rajasthan, 
just by accident meeting some great teachers, some great meditational guides, and uh, they took me on this path. And I started learning more and more about my mind and my body, and it just interested me and fascinated me. And uh, yeah, I just didn't stop. How did your neuroscientific background inform how you were processing these changes on your mind through yoga? So having a lot of knowledge on the on the brain and the system and the mind, I was obviously, you kind of apply this knowledge to yourself. So I was really curious actually. So I was like meditating and sometimes I would become aware of some certain sensations or that I had a different state of mind one day from the next and then wondering like why is my system today like this and why is it the other day like this? And if I do this exercise, why do I experience this kind of sensation? Um, so it definitely um, put me in a more, uh, as a scientist, you're very curious to like uh, look for answers and, and experiment a bit. And I, I definitely started experimenting with my own health, my own life and with yoga practice. And what I love is taking my own, uh, myself and, and uh, my my consciousness uh, out of a out of a box and so instead of thinking within the the paths I already knew and learned I try to get even further out of that mm. and uh, yoga is very interesting yeah, I think it's really cool being able to come from that laboratory state right you can't truly believe anything until you test it for yourself right you have to experiment with yourself in order to really own the experience and be able to speak from that place of actual knowledge yeah i was thinking earlier i was excited to get to this point in your story because so much of what we talk about in the pranayama practice for example is, or any meditation um and in yoga any anything like this i think the goal is to you know quiet the monkey mind the thinking mind move from Vritti to Vritti Chitnarodha. Yes. Soon to be tattooed on Romy's arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, our our teacher, our Pranayama teacher, Michael Brian Baker, was talking a lot about the left and the right hemisphere of the brain moving from the thinking mind to the feeling mind. And um, even, even some of the breath techniques that we practice are kind of geared at you know, circumventing the, the brain a little bit. So when we breathe in our practice, everything's done through the mouth because breathing into the nostrils is just like a just blasting the brain with oxygen. You're just immediately stimulating the brain first. So we try to bring air in through the mouth and, and we focus on breathing into the belly and into the lungs first so that we're not keeping the mind super stimulated. So. Does this sound very rudimentary to you as a neuroscientist? Um, I'm curious on just what what your experience in meditation in regards to those kind of things has been. No, I, I totally agree uh, with these kind of techniques. And I think there is a, a very wide spectrum in uh, breathing techniques and meditational techniques. I've met many uh, interesting teachers and gurus who have different opinions and different ways of uh, training people. Um, so I think we all have our own method. Um, I have, for example, my own method is uh, I work a lot with the axial 
I love the exhale. Exhale is very, it's a big release, a release of energy. And when you start a, med uh, a meditation or a yoga session with elongating the exhale, like going very deep and making people aware of how the lungs move, how you can deepen your breath, uh, it's all connected to the brain and to the system. So you automatically tap into the parasympathetic nerve system which is telling us that it's time to relax and slow down. And, um, and that's my, my method, my personal method I've been developing in the past uh, yeah, year, basically. And, uh, and also there are beautiful yoga postures that have a major effect also on the endocrine system. Uh, uh, and the endocrine system is then again connected to the chakra system or the other way around, it's a two-way two-way traffic and uh, in that sense uh, it's it's a beautiful way to mix like the the western science with the eastern philosophy and i definitely and that's what's going to be my next point is like that's what i hope to do in the future is to bridge this gap more that's was really one of the main tenets of our pranayama training with michael was how you merge this western science with the Eastern philosophy and tradition. It's such a powerful thing when you intertwine the two. And it's really like when when they're put together, when you let them intermingle, they really begin to fill in the gaps, I think, between each other, you know? Western science is all about the information, how does it work, the mechanics. And the East has the knowledge, like, this is how it works. Yes, this is hypothesis, there's not what do you say? Hard evidence for it, I guess. Tangible evidence would be better. But it's it's an experiential knowledge. Yeah. So this is interesting to me um, because I was reading this book that had randomly been passed from my friend Nikolai to. And from he's in California. He had passed this book on to our friend Shafni, who's in Sri Lanka. And I saw Shafni at the beginning of the trip. He gave me this book. It's. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 crazy, just the story of this book's travels. But it's um, a collection of writings by Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, and I know I'm butchering his name. He's a French philosopher and a Jesuit priest, actually, and he also trained as a paleontologist and a geologist. And he lived from about 1881 to 1955. So, and he was he was in World War One on the front lines as a, a sort of, I don't know, uh, he was with the infantry, but he was a, what do you call like the priest that's there with them, cleric or something, I'm not sure. But anyway, um, so he was doing priestly duties in, on the line of battle. Yes, yes, and he was like in the trenches, like seeing all of the like terrible suffering and all this. Jesus Christ. Yes, exactly. But to read, I mean, honestly, to, to read what he was writing was like, he's even in those moments finding this beauty and connected human experience. But what I, what I was thinking about was that, um, you know, at the time of his writing, and he was very radical for his time, that, you know, the Catholic Church had kind of shut down the idea of the theory of evolution on its inception. He embraced it as a geologist and paleontologist. But... Um, the East and the West, or the mystic and the scientific, especially in the last 
century, century and a half, have been so divided, and science was kind of, in a large way, I think, viewed as the next step, right? So people were thinking, oh, we can close the door on religion, that got us where we needed to be, but now science is the way. Or, oh, let's abandon all of these thousands of years of human knowledge about our bodies and and um, let's just focus on modern medicine. He just made a lot of points about how the way forward is really going to be a marriage of those things, you know? The last book I read, too, The Dance of Shiva, but I think it's by this guy, and his last name's Kuraswamy, um, written a hundred years ago also, but he was talking about, he was responding to a bunch of Western criticisms of Eastern, specifically Hindu culture, in Indian culture, music, art, and all this, and he's saying that um, Asia has a lot to offer the East, or the East has a lot to offer the West, and the way forward is really going to be in finding the best of each culture and allowing those things to develop as a, you know, like human collective and, and not so much this idea of, oh, we're going to come and develop you and, and take from you, start businesses and, and, you know, just like imperialism, that kind of mentality. This is, has been so harmful. So interesting conversation today with Danny, too, about the water project that he's working on and how the development in Asia, I feel like, is there's a great opportunity for it to go in a positive direction. Yeah, I'd like to tap into that, um, Randall. Um, so about the science uh, coming after uh, religion is, uh, I think we we definitely saw the light there and felt like we had to use knowledge to go further into this world. Um, but I, what I always experience in the in the lab and is in the scientific world is. Um, was also a bit of a narrow-mindedness, so I always felt a bit locked within the numbers and uh, the rules around science. And uh, luckily, I feel it's changing. So people dare to go a bit more out of the box and dare to um, go a bit more in the darker corners that are not so easy to uh, um, um, how do you say it quantify. But I still, I, I think that if we want to know more about the world we live in and, and uh, how to go further in, into this world and use the knowledge, we have to acknowledge that there's things out there that we cannot always see or measure. And we feel it and we sense it and we sort of understand that it's there, but we're still too afraid to touch this field. And especially science is very, it's a very slow apparatus, you know, it's a very slow machine. And, I think it's time that also science is getting into a bit of a revolution here. So you're 26, you leave Amsterdam, go to India, begin studying yoga and meditation. Do you, and now we're in Sri Lanka, you're 29, have you been traveling this whole time? Have you, how did you find your way here? Okay, so no, I haven't been traveling the whole time. Uh, so this, I told you this, I bought this one-way ticket to India that became a journey of about 13 months. Uh, traveled the world, I trekked in the Himalayas and I surfed in Indonesia. But all this time I kept doing yoga, so yoga was still this red line in my life. And uh, I also realized that, uh, I think that also was a bit of a turning point in my life. It's like at one point I was living in 
Indonesia in the countryside by myself in a hut with a dog, no internet, nothing. I have my surfboard and my scooter. And I was living a very natural life and I noticed I stopped having thoughts. So my mind started becoming very calm, very, very, very much in the moment, almost a more, yeah, uh, very natural state to be, uh, state of being. And um, but what I noticed when I moved back, so after this journey, I moved back home, I started getting my monkey mind back. And that kind of forced me to go deeper into the yoga because I wanted to stay in this place where I was in Indonesia. And I was curious, like, what? I was, again, in this, like, scientific uh, person uh, or role I took was, like, how can I live still in the city but still feel like that in Indonesia? Is there a way or practice to um, feel this balanced as I was? And that's the challenge, right, is figuring out how to make it in this modern world but staying cool, staying quiet, pretty shit in the road hard. And do you attribute that cessation of thought that you were experiencing in Indonesia, do you attribute that to the isolation really, or more to the meditation, or maybe a combination of both? I think it's a combination of both. So uh, also being away from all stimulation, so being in the nature, and also having done my practice for months, uh, really made my body and my mind very, very calm, very, very focused. And um, yeah, after after I moved back, I got my old job back in the lab, and I noticed that um, yeah, I just had a completely s different state of mind than I had before. So it was uh, yeah, I think the combination of being back in the city and and the working life and the the, the big city life, the fast life, makes your mind a lot faster, and also uh, so in some cases creates disbalances and. Uh, yeah, that definitely hit my curiosity, yeah. And uh, also made me go, yeah, continue down the yogic path, yes. Was there a specific style of yoga that became your dominant practice? You, know, you mentioned Bikram was the introduction and that you began to kind of delve more into Hatha uh, as you progressed, but at this point, where was your practice leading you? I was doing a lot of vinyasa at the time, but I also started getting into yin yoga. Because yin yoga is, um, I think a lot of people benefit from yin yoga because it's more calming, but it goes against the fast mind and the fast system. So it's actually more challenging for a lot of people. That's a brownie bell. <laughs> hey. So side note here, we just ordered a brownie it has nuts, Randall. But they're cashews. Cashews only. The Geneva nut. The Geneva nut. Yeah, because Tyler and I have opposing nut allergies. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who's the axis and who's the ally, but uh, I think the... I think the... <laughs> what do you think? Well, so... <laughs> I've only got the peanut, and so I feel like that's probably Germany. And... <laughs> <laughs> And then all the tree nuts are my allies. I've got like the whole world on my side, and we'll just pretend that Russia and Germany became this bastard of a legume that is the peanut. Didn't Russia? Russia was not. 
sided with Germany in World War II. That was, Russia's the whole reason we won yeah. World War II. We're also going to edit this out. <laughs> but, well, just that part where I sounded like I've never studied World War II. I have a lot of Russian friends now, and I can't have... Uh, <laughs> Can't be slandering their motherland. Well, didn't they? All right, we're going in. I'm not editing this out. Didn't we? Didn't we originally? Okay. Well, yeah, get in there. Weren't the Soviet Union and Germany originally on the same team? Fucking amazing brownie. Weren't they originally on the same team, and then they didn't back Hitler, and then Hitler invaded Russia? Are you getting your mind? Brownie blown right now. Uh, too good. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Is that Dutch? I don't know. It's brownie language. <laughs> I'm going in. I don't know. Germany had declared war mm. on Russia in World War One. There was never like a unit. Italy, Italy and, and Germany. Sorry, I can't hear you right now, Randall. There's so much brownie in my mouth. Well, our listeners don't have brownies in their mouths. Anyway. <laughs> Fuck it. It's not important. It's not important. It's very important, but right now it's not. The point is, the point is that there's only cashews in this brownie, and everybody gets to enjoy it. Okay? And there's peace in this bungalow. <sighs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I have no idea what we were talking about. Do you? That you guys are nuts, sir. <laughs> I mean, yeah, clearly. Hmm. We were talking about Romy and her yoga and coming back after the trip, noticing you got back to Berlin, noticed the difference in the state of mind. I asked you what style yin yoga, yin yoga, also known as brownie yoga. When I was doing my teacher training in Bali with um, my man Jay, he stress the yin so much just that in our society today there's already so much yang energy so much overstimulation and people just want more they want the bikram and the hot yoga and the power vinyasa classes right and he's just like his whole thing is if you're going to do yang yoga do it in the morning light your fire kickstart your day but you know after after lunchtime you need to start winding down man like you don't need to get off of work You've been, you know, working your job in front of a computer all day, whatever, and wherever you are. And then you want to go and just stress your system even more. You need to wind down, go back home, enjoy your meal mindfully, appreciate your family and friends, and just take it easy. And so I think it's, I think yin is such a powerful practice. And, I mean, all, all yoga is predicated on the foundation of the breath. But yin especially, you really really can feel the power that comes through breathing and really letting yourself deepen into into asana oh yeah big time yeah 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 and um i totally agree with the the comment of cider about the yang societies that um i think we are pushing ourselves constantly and that's what I, I experienced also when I got back after my trip know that knowing how a relaxed life could be a natural life and then coming back to the old society for me going back to the capital going into a fast job fast life uh, uh, and then uh, yeah you're all you're just like generating energy and fire all the time pushing your body pushing your mind and then people t 
tap into that energy when they take their exercise. So they feel like this, all this energy, I have to go into a very intense form of yoga to release myself. But I think, um, and what I always learned is like, wherever you meet resistance, that's where, you, that's where your uh, spot is. That's where you have to go. So if yin yoga is hard for you because you're running around all day and your mind goes crazy, you have to do yin yoga. Because if you do yang yoga, it's maybe easy, but then still you go to bed feeling like you could run a marathon in the end. And I think it's important for people to understand that yin does not mean easy. Yin is not the same as restorative yoga. You can still have a very challenging yin practice. You're just lengthening the poses and slowing down. Still challenging yourself, but just slowing down. Yeah, you actually had led a yin class the other week at Mellow Hostel, and I came to it, and I remember the first five minutes of the class, we were doing a lot of neck rolls and stretching, and it was so slow, and at first I was thinking, man, yin isn't my favorite style of yoga, but then by the end of the class and like halfway through, I was just so gone and like I was so just in my body. It was so relaxing. It was incredible. Yeah, I was teaching a young class two days ago at Nuga House and I got called in just the last minute to come and fill in for a teacher and you know, I didn't really have anything prepared. Just got there and I was quite I was not at my most energetic at this class either, and and I didn't get a high energy vibe from the other students as well. So I just kind of followed my body, followed the vibe of the class, and I had actually planned for this to be a, a hatha class, and we ended up never even leaving the floor, just stay on the floor the entire time. And during Shavasana, this this yoga shot is beautiful. Have you been to the Nuga House? Uh, actually, not. No. Oh, it's really sweet, but. This garbage truck pulls up right, like when we're getting into, like probably been in Shavasana for two minutes, and it stops directly in front of the building, and you know it's probably four Sri Lankan dudes that are out there speaking Sinhali and throwing the trash in the truck, and then the truck compacts the trash and it's just making so much noise and horns, and I was like, oh man, this is like not ideal right now, and then the truck pulls off after about five minutes of nonstop industrial noise, and. Stay in Shavasana for a bit longer, and when everybody came out, I, you know, kind of jokingly mentioned the garbage truck, and everybody was like, "What garbage truck?" Didn't notice it at all. They were, they were just totally, totally gone. And that was, for me, just as a teacher, that was a really cool moment. I was just like, the power of Yin. Yeah, the power of Yin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. Like Yin. Yin is super grounding and um, yeah, people really reach their la la land at some point, you know, it's like especially restorative yin and uh, the first first few postures are super slow and agonizing, especially if you run towards the class, you're in a rush and then you're just like thinking about the time and where to go and your next appointment and then after a few postures you just notice like how your body starts surrendering, how your mind starts surrendering. And then in the end, you totally forget about time and appointments. And you're just like enjoying this time of nothingness, like silence. And that's so beautiful. And I think we should have more of that. I, th I was thinking, too, um, about how, you know, I, 
you lived in Amsterdam, you lived in Berlin, huge cities, um, and I've visited Amsterdam. I haven't been to Berlin, and I, I got the vibe that, you know, maybe Amsterdam could be a little more chill, maybe, than a New York City, for example. Because uh, I've lived in New York City, I've lived in L.A., and especially in New York, right after I graduated, I moved straight there, and I was an intern, and I got hired on by this ad agency, and we were working anywhere from, you know, 60 to 80, 90 hours a week, nights and weekends, not paid overtime, and then you go, and you, you want to blow off some steam, you know, you just go partying, you go work out, play soccer or something, but it just felt like I had no time. Everything was just slipping past, and you're in such a big city. You don't look at people. You don't stop to to say hello. And coming from the south of the U.S., you know, where especially my first year in New York, it was really hard because all of a sudden I was around more people than I'd ever seen in one place, but no one would talk to you. And here in the south, you go to buy you know, something at the gas station and the person there uh, at the counter is going to talk to you for five minutes, you know. Um, so it was just a really isolating experience, ironically, because it's one of the biggest cities in the world. Yeah, I, I just think society, Western society is threatening. It's, it's a very threatening kind of place, you know, whether you're threatened by your job security or the fact that you have to pay a large rent payment every month all these factors for stress and then stress releases cortisol in our systems and then you really need to get that out and I think that's what the benefit of like high intensity exercises for people because if you don't deal with those cortisol levels rising in your body that just creates a negative feedback loop again one of my favorite things about Sri Lanka I talked to so many people about this what are you doing today well, I don't know like it's just such a chill life. Um, you could just and and you can stay at the beach, hop in, surf, whatever. Um, <laughs> it's chill, but still very active. You no, know, exactly. It's it's super active and physically active, socially active, um, and and if you're you're trying to create, you know, something with the yoga, uh, with music, any anything, you can find a project to to work on out here. I, man. If you're willing to get out here and hustle, you can make whatever you want to happen happen out here. Yeah, and and at the same time, it's the most chill kind of hustling. You just yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. That's true. It's it's like it's so easy just to go up and talk to somebody who maybe has a cafe or a hostel, and you want to create a cool event. You want to try and have a special night, and people are down. People are down to make cool stuff happen. Like the networking here is just insane so Rami how did you get involved with teaching here in Sri Lanka while you, while you were traveling um, did you just did you have any leads or uh, you know how did you find some some classes to teach yeah, it's funny uh, I was actually only on a visa run to Sri Lanka I was uh, teaching yoga in a temple in Goa in uh, Arambo and uh, my plan was to do a visa run. I was already there for three months. Uh, I had to leave the country, so I flew into Sri Lanka. But I don't know. Since uh, since two years or something, I stopped buying return tickets because I don't want to be fixed to any dates or time. And uh, so I just bought a single ticket here, thinking I would just stay a week and then come back. 
And then on day two, I'm having a coffee in J House in uh, Medigama. And a French guy comes up to me, Nicolas. He's like, hey, uh, do you perhaps know any yoga teachers? Because ours just left. And I was like, oh, okay. I want to teach. I enjoy it here. Why not? I might stay two weeks then. So two weeks became three weeks. And three weeks became one and a half month later. I'm still here. I never returned to Goa. Because um, the island just... I just crushed hard on the island and the island life and it was much more relaxed than India actually so I also felt a bit more grounded here. I love surfing and yoga jobs just kept coming. Another friend asked me if I could sub for her at the hostel on the, across the road serving wombats. I was teaching there suddenly so it just kept coming and coming and you know then that you're in the right place and you're in a, on the right path when things flow that, that well. And it just flows here. And, and I just feel it's the right place for me as a teacher to be right now. And meeting incredible, inspiring students, it, they just lift me higher and higher. And I'm learning, they're learning, and it's just amazing. Yeah, I feel the same. Really, the last two weeks, I've been experiencing that same sort of thing. Like you, you know, I just went up and asked my friend Roxanne, who does the events, that mellow hostel if she ever needed a sub and she texted me she said yeah maybe texted me back at night and said actually can you come teach tomorrow started teaching there got a text or got a got a message in the yoga teacher group on whatsapp someone needed a sub hopped on that as quickly as possible that turned into a regular gig and for me it's just been being as tuned into the opportunities as I can and just saying yes like if a last minute sub opportunity comes up and it's 30 minutes from now and I can make it I'm going to go do it just because you never know who you're going to meet. You never know what that's going to grow into. I think in a place like Sri Lanka, just having that mentality. And something Randall and I have talked about a lot is is just letting yourself be available to say yes, to take the opportunity. And that's really what got us here and what we're doing right now. We also don't have a return ticket. Our visa has been extended through April 19th. Not sure what's going to happen after that, but something good well you know um so tell me about yoga constellations what is it going to be is it a company is it your yoga brand is are you studying the effects of the brain through yoga what what is yoga constellations um yoga constellations um is i call it it's my own business so i set up my own business i wanted to start for myself so when I was still working as a researcher, researcher in Amsterdam, the university, uh, I started a transition and I set up my business called Yogic Oscillations. And um, I was basically trying to fuse both fields. So I was both doing the research job and I was teaching yoga in Amsterdam at that time. And um, I'm I'm still working on it, but it's definitely it's it's my way of um, creating a life for myself where I can bring these two fields together. So that's the name Yogic Oscillations. It's uh, also containing this name Oscillations, fluctuations in the mind. Our brain is always oscillating, always sending different brain waves. And in yoga and and, and in our state of mind, we always experience this kind of uh, fluctuations. And um, 
forgot totally where you were going with the question. Fluctuating. Yeah, I'm, flu <laughs> I'm fluctuating here. My mind is going different places. Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I see. I call it my own business, but that's more because it gives me more. Uh, I feel more empowered when I say it like that. Mm. So it's my own business and it's my project, my life, and I don't treat it as a business though. So you will see if. My classes are more a creative process, and uh, uh, and it's been going quite slow. So I, I I just like take step by step, but that's because I want this to be a very conscious thing, a very conscious creation, and not just something I do for money or for fame or status. So this is coming from a different source for me. It's more uh, love based and energetic based. I want to get energy from it, and um, so. Yeah, in a practical sense, when I talk with people, I call it my business. But if I look deep in my heart, I see it's it's more it's my path. It's like a creation. Okay, so the biggest question I have now is, you know, you created the yogic oscillations as a researcher. You're teaching yoga in Amsterdam at this time, kind of doing a little bit of both, trying to combine. There had to have been a moment where you switched the flip, right? Like what? gave you the the courage or the you know the resolution to make that huge of a decision you know and and what did your friends and or family think about it yeah so i was uh doing both jobs and um i just noticed that after teaching a yoga class i felt so energized and and so balanced and good and after spending a whole day in the lab behind a computer, I felt quite drained and pretty, uh, pretty tired. And although I, I have a huge passion for my field and, and this neuroscience, I, I realized that as a 20-something-year-old, 20, 20 uh, I, I didn't want to feel tired and drained. I want to felt energized and uh, I wanted to... Um, treat myself and my body the way I, I, I think we should treat it and uh, the fast life in the city is just uh, become for me uh, a place where I couldn't really 100% feel at home anymore so the last year I did my first yoga teacher training in India more to find a bit of balance and for my health and I realized that uh, um, there that living that life in in this uh, yoga community uh, it really inspired me and it always stayed in my mind and then last october i decided to completely switch to flip so i quit my job in the lab and uh, it was very hard it was a long-term contract and we were really building somewhere and obviously in the netherlands a uh, research job has a high status so many people were like, are you sure? Like, do you want to do this? Uh, didn't always get the support. Uh, but once I switched and I, I told people about my dreams and I really felt my passion, I think people became more supportive. And I still get a bit doubtful reaction sometimes from people who don't see yoga as a really lucrative field, but I think that's a very Western state of mind. And I think people can make anything happen if they want to. So that's what I also try to like inspire with other people. It's like if you feel like you want to switch the flip, 
go for it, take a plunge. It might be scary, might might be hard, might not always go the way you want it to go, but just do it, just follow your passion because man, we just gotta live and feel great and enjoy our lives and, and, and just let go of all this stress and tension and results and and that's, I think, my biggest motivation is just, yeah, just follow it. Go eat a brownie. Go eat a brownie. <laughs> Go nuts. <laughs> Go nuts. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. And thank you for, you know. Being amazing. Being amazing. And thank you, everyone who's listening. Uh, if, if you enjoy the podcast, it would really help us out if you gave us some sort of good rating on whatever platform you're listening. It would help push us up in search results and uh, spread the word, help us inspire more people to switch the flip. And you can also follow along with us on Instagram at switch the flip with two Ps and visit us at switch the flip dot today. But until next time, oh. <laughs> throws to Siler on surprise. I'm going to teach a young class right now. So we had to wrap this up, but I got to go share some love with the people. So, Romy, thank you. Listeners, thank you. Class dismissed.